prison violence explodes. We had multiple uh, um, security incidences at multiple institutions. What looks like coordinated attacks, a lockdown at the hospital, and how drones were allegedly used to drop weapons. Police investigate a child luring. A stranger, a man, believed to be in his 30s, came to the door of the home daycare. The suspicious visitor and the search for a vehicle spotted in the area. And an historic Chinese business fights for its future. Why this Victoria butcher shop, continuously operating since the 1800s, is facing the chopping block. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We start with that frightening escalation of prison violence. In what appears to be coordinated attacks, five inmates were rushed to hospital after stabbings at two different Fraser Valley institutions. Aaron MacArthur joins us now from outside Matsqui Institution. And Aaron, the prison officers union believes drones were involved. Yeah, the union, Chris, has been raising red flags about drones now for months, bringing contraband in over fences. Everything from narcotics and weapons to cell phones, which is particularly concerning, giving inmates unfettered communication tools. Ambulances and heavily armed police officers. Abbotsford Regional Hospital on lockdown Thursday night. A coordinated attack that sent at least five people to hospital. The victims all believed to be inmates at Fraser Valley prisons. According to the union representing prison guards, the coordinated attack was carried out at multiple institutions. We believe right now that they're, uh, they're involved edged weapons. Um, and uh, after correction officers intervened, multiple inmates had to be sent to outside hospital. According to BC Emergency Health Services, three inmates were transported from the Kent Institute around five o'clock Thursday evening with critical injuries. Just a few minutes later, two more ambulances dispatched to the Matsqui Institution, transporting additional patients. John Randall says this level of coordination is difficult to pull off inside penitentiaries. We've seen so many cell phones being dropped by drones recently that it's given the whole new level of, of ability for them to communicate between each other and it's methods that we're still trying to, to stop. The union representing prison guards has been raising the alarm for months now about the use of drones, flying over fences, smuggling contraband inside, drugs, cell phones, and sharp-edged weapons. The situation extremely alarming for the security of inmates and the guards. I haven't seen the level of violence like this in a long, long time. And the ability for them to communicate, like that's, it's, that's alarming for us because you know, the element of surprise and secrecy is kind of what was in the historically one of our biggest advantages as correction officers. Corrections Canada confirms multiple victims were sent to hospital from both institutions. Matsqui continues to be on lockdown. Visitation restricted until further notice. An investigation conducted by corrections and the RCMP is underway. Aaron, have any officials connected any of these attacks to gang activity? Well, the union definitely says gang activity is a problem inside federal correctional facilities. That will be one of the key questions here in this investigation going forward is what role did those gangs play and whether the gang conflict is strictly inside prisons or tied to something larger outside of prisons, something the investigation will have to tackle. No Chris. doubt there's been no shortage of violence tied to gangland activity. 
Thanks very much, Aaron. Appreciate that. And on that point, Ridge Meadows RCMP are asking for witnesses to come forward after a shooting early this morning. Just after 12.30 a.m., police responded to a shots fired call in the area of 248th Street and Dudney Trunk Road. No one was injured during the incident. And not far from the shooting, police say they discovered a vehicle on fire on McNutt Road, which they say may be related. Now, that incident comes hours after what police have called a brazen daytime shooting in Coquitlam. Police say they don't believe the two shootings are related, but they are using all resources at their disposal. We are aware of other incidents that happened within a short period of time within the Lower Mainland. Um, and we are working with our community partners. Um, at the time of the shooting, we did have assistance from our RCMP Air One uh, police dog services, as well as the emergency response team, which are all integrated um, units with the RCMP and our municipal policing partners. Police say it's too early to tell if all of this is related to the BC gang conflict. Anyone with dash cam footage or video of the shooting is asked to contact Ridge Meadows RCMP. Now to that disturbing incident at a Vancouver home daycare. A suspicious man who showed up asking for a child by name claiming to be the father, only he wasn't. Kristen Robinson has the details, including a sketch of the suspect. The VPD releasing this composite sketch of a man it alleges posed as a parent and tried to lure a child from an East Vancouver daycare before Christmas. Super concerning because it's, uh, I mean, a guy, that random guy just asking for a, uh, to pick up a kid that doesn't belong to him, that he's not the dad, that's just, yeah, very concerning. It happened around 3.30 p.m. on December 13th. A stranger knocked on the door of the small after-school home daycare near the PNE. Police say the suspect spoke with the operator's daughter and claimed he was the father of a five-year-old girl attending the daycare. He knew the child's name. He shouldn't have a way to know the, 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 the little girl's name. There were very few people, uh, it's our understanding, who were aware of the child care arrangement. So who this man was and how he came to the door asking for this person by name, this girl by name, is a mystery to us and it's a mystery that we're trying to solve. The suspect, described as appearing clean and stylish, is believed to be in his 30s, six feet tall with a medium build and facial stubble. Police say the girl's parents are not linked to any activities that would make their daughter a target. Absolutely not. We don't believe so. Through our investigation, speaking with other people who use that daycare, we've confirmed that we don't believe that this person had any connection to anybody else in the daycare. Police also releasing a photo of an orange Porsche Mackin caught on surveillance in the neighborhood at the time. They believe the driver may be able to assist in the investigation. The daycare operator's spouse advising parents to let their child care providers know who is allowed to pick up their children. Just make sure that um, let the daycare operators that who are going to be the parents able to pick up your kids. Kristen Robinson, Global News. One man is in custody after a North Vancouver neighborhood was shut down by police for hours. Officers were called to a home near East 18th Street and St. George's Avenue just after 8 o'clock in the morning after someone reported a man acting erratically and brandishing a weapon. When officers arrived, the man barricaded himself inside the home. After several hours, the man was safely taken into custody and taken to the hospital. Police say they're not looking for any more witnesses and that there is no risk to the public. 
A disturbing and destructive vandalism spree has sent dozens of South Vancouver car owners to auto body shops this week. As Alyssa Tebow shows us, someone was caught on camera appearing to smash windows for no reason. Not one, but two windows smashed on a Mercedes left parked near Granville and 64. Nearby, we found two more vehicles with taped up windows on the street and in the alley likely part of a major vandalism spree across Vancouver. Flora Du was one of the many victims picking up her car today from an auto body shop. It looks like it's a street punch or something, so we think it could be not accident. This was captured by her security camera near Granville and 70th. A man taps on the front window, and though it's hard to see, he breaks the back in one hit. This was 3 a.m. Thursday. I feel so... You know, so sorry. I think is there for the first link for me is kind of what happened to this to the society. I mean, there's something wrong with them. Maybe they are feel, I don't know, they have some hatred or something. Police say they're aware of two hot spots around Marpole and also Fairview, though some owners may not yet know they've been targeted. We found four vehicles vandalised here just around this intersection at Fur and 11th. Police believe up to 100 vehicles have been damaged for absolutely no reason. It doesn't appear that anybody went into the vehicles to steal items. Pure and simple, indiscriminate destruction of property that's caused likely hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage. It's believed the damage was done late Wednesday into Thursday, though one repair shop says high numbers of broken windows started coming in Tuesday. We averaging about five to six a day. Yes, since early this week. And so far, police think one person is responsible, though no suspect has been identified. One resident we spoke with says it's becoming a huge risk to park on the street. Like it's more common to see someone's vehicles like damaged or smashed. It's really sad, actually, because I thought it was a really, Marple was a really nice uh, area. Police want to hear from anyone who has security or dash cam video. Alyssa Tebow, Global News. The B.C. Court of Appeal has turfed an attempt to overturn a ruling connected to a recreational soccer lawsuit last year. In March 2023, North Vancouver recreational soccer player Jordan David Miller was awarded $103,000 in damages for an incident during a match in May 2018 at Windsor Soccer Field when he was slide tackled. According to the original ruling, the defendant, Carl Cox, recklessly slide tackled Miller, causing him to fall and dislocate his shoulder. Cox maintained the judge made an error in characterizing the tackle as reckless and outside the acceptable rules of play. The Honorable Justice Fitch with the Court of Appeal dismissed the appeal, saying there was no error in the interpretation of the tackle as reckless. He gets to keep the money. Provincial health officials are urging parents to have their children vaccinated now that a third child has died in B.C. due to complications linked to influenza. Jennifer Palma has more on what parents need to watch out for. The flu season is here and it's been on a steady climb as the B.C. Centre for Disease Control reports influenza has taken a part in the death of three children from different parts of B.C. under the age of 10 over the past week. Influenza was identified in all of these deaths, but it wasn't necessarily the, the cause of each of these deaths. In all three of these cases, 
there was an associated secondary bacterial infection. That can be a complication of influenza illness. PC Children's Hospital says it's seen a gradual increase in patients with respiratory symptoms, but that it's in line with previous seasons pre-pandemic. In 2022, the BC CDC reported six children's deaths from flu-related illness. Dr. Barmal says it was a very unusual season as we came out of the pandemic, and they're tracking this year closely. This H1 strain is circulating. A lot of kids have not been exposed to it, and we know that it also tends to hit younger kids harder. So when do you go to the doctor or emergency room with your child? Here are some symptoms to look out for. Fever in infants three months or younger or those with pre-existing conditions should go see a doctor as soon as possible. Labored breathing drowsiness, not able to keep fluids down, or a fever that just won't go away. For many, the holiday season and time off school has meant getting over colds and the flu. It's mostly like cold season, like they have a lot of colds, but they're good now. But since school's been out, they haven't really been sick. Coughing, fever, yeah, we're just out of it. The health ministry is also watching this flu season, expecting the peak of the season to be in January. This is a more typical flu season. It's still uh, rising in B.C. And so that's why it's still an important and possible thing to get vaccinated. And there are literally thousands of appointments available. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Hospitals across the province are also seeing more than their fair share of illnesses these days. Mm -hmm. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. And Keith... Looks like every health authority is operating at or past capacity right now. Yeah, right across the board. This trend we saw of increased hospitalizations began in the summer. About 300 more people than normal are in hospital at any given time, and that number is increasing. So there are two types of hospital beds. There's base beds, 9,929 of those are in B.C. There's also 2,281 uh, surge beds, but we're already over capacity when it comes to those base beds. Surge beds are beds that are not assigned to wards. They can be in hallways and closets, for example, uh, and they come into play when there's just not enough base beds to go around. And when you look at the health authority, here's how the numbers break down. Every health authority is over capacity when it comes to base beds. Fraser, 103.8%. Interior, North Vancouver Coastal has the highest rate of occupancy over base beds of 106.5%. The total average for the province is 103.5%. Health Minister Adrian Dix today talking about how these numbers of people in hospital right now are historic. These are historically high numbers. They're not record numbers yet. But as we're still seeing the uh, continuing respiratory illness season and we're back to full um, efforts in terms of surgeries in our hospital, there are a lot of people in hospital right now. It's why um, uh, a couple of months ago we increased the number of base beds in our hospital system uh, significantly in order to meet what, seem, what is certainly a continuing issue of high volume uh, in acute care. So Minister Dick says we're not breaking a record quite yet, but we're very close. I think we're just seven short a couple days ago. The numbers I just showed you over last year's record, which was set last January. So we'll again uh, keep an eye on the next two weeks. One big re or two big reasons why we're seeing more people in hospital. We have a rapidly aging population. The older you are, the more likely you are you need medical help. And also our population is surging. So just on a statistical basis, there's going to be when we bring in about 140,000 people a year, a number of those people need health care. And that means more and more people are going into hospital. Hard to keep up with some of those numbers, mm -hmm. isn't it, Keith? All right, thanks yeah. very much. That's Keith Baldry in Victoria. RCMP are investigating the unsolicited drugging of a young man with autism.
much to my shock, he tested positive for THC. 19-year-old Isaac Bennett has complex medical needs, and when his condition started to deteriorate, his mother became suspicious. She's alleging care workers gave him cannabis gummies and says she has the text to prove it. That's next on the News Hour. They have earned their retirement. After 135 years in business and historic Victoria Butcher Shop is desperate to hang on to its claim to fame later on the news hour and it's revered as the stone of heaven in chinese culture why jade is getting harder and harder to mine even though it's the official mineral of bc coming up later as well right now though a powell river mother is demanding answers and accountability after she says her special needs son was repeatedly dosed with thc gummies by one of his care workers without consent Catherine urquhart has the story 19-year-old Isaac Bennett is nonverbal, autistic, and epileptic. His complex medical needs require 24-hour care, and he lives in a Community Living BC provider facility in Powell River. In recent months, the teen suddenly developed acute psychosis, requiring hospitalization. Toxicology results revealed THC in his system. The information that was brought forward very clearly indicated that it was a intentional, repeated series of acts during which this one specific caregiver repeatedly administered high-dose THC gummies to Isaac. Shauna Lambden Bennett says she warned caregivers against giving THC to Isaac, who previously participated in a trial study and had a negative reaction to the drug. Texts between caregivers indicate they gave him the drug anyway. They read in part, IB just woke up. I told blank to do a strong gummy first and check back in an hour. Another reads, yep, I gave him a gummy in the truck. And please keep the candy on the down low. I have had three contacts with police since, we'll say, December 8th. And the police have done nothing. They have been provided with substantial evidence, um, photographic, shift reports, lab reports, uh, direct testimony, and no action. The RCMP say the investigation is ongoing. CLBC says it's their understanding the employee involved no longer works for the service provider. It's most likely permanent brain damage from acute delirium, which we know is a long-term effect of acute delirium. And also from, he had a respiratory and cardiac arrest in November, which most likely has caused some long-term damage. So he is struggling right now. Lambden Bennett says she wants answers for herself and for her son. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Turns out in the last 35 years, there has not been a deadlier year for construction worker deaths in BC than 2022. The latest WorkSafe BC statistics on work-related deaths show 54 construction workers died in 2022. That's nearly 75% more than the average number of annual construction worker deaths over the previous 30 years. Of those 54 deaths, 28 workers died due to trauma, 26 died due to exposure to dangerous substances while on the job. I tried to understand how I could be standing here today talking about 54 deaths. And 
in some ways, the horrible and very predictable legacy of asbestos exposure is playing out. And we're seeing very, very high numbers of, of people who have died from this you know, horrible disease. But there are also so many deaths due to falls, collisions, poor ventilation resulting in carbon monoxide, drowning, electrocution, equipment failure, and roof collapses. Members of the BC Building Trades and its affiliate unions gathered today at Art Phillips Park in Vancouver to remember those construction workers that have lost their lives. Just ahead, the ski industry on thin ice with a troubling lack of snow, a BC climate scientist makes a shocking prediction about North Shore ski hills. Next. And how a monumental shift in U.S. prescription drug policy could possibly impact Canadians. The unseasonably warm temperatures, courtesy of an El Nino year, has been a disaster for ski hills on the south coast. And a climate scientist is warning the lack of snow on the mountains is a sign of things to come. That within just a few decades, reliable snowfalls will be a thing of the past. Travis Prasad reports. Many on the south coast take pride in being able to spend time on a sandy beach and a snowy mountain all in the same day. But how much longer can we brag about it? The ski resorts are, are, are the canary in the, in the coal mine. Climate scientist Michael Pidwerney says climate change will spell the end for North Shore ski hills in relatively short order. The Cypress, Grouse, uh, Seymour, um, they're, they're finished by 2050. He says increasingly warm temperatures will lead to shorter winters and not enough snow for coastal ski resorts. We haven't really cut back on, on emissions of, of greenhouse gases, so... Um, things are going to get progressively warmer until we get our act together. The slow start this winter, similar to 2015. A terrible ski season with almost no snow on the North Shore runs. Conditions like this are expected in El Nino years, but experts say climate change is making it even worse. Well, some ski seasons are going to be better than others. Um, but overall, there is there is a clear warming trend which is projected to continue. And there are implications beyond the slopes. The region's water comes from three reservoirs on the North Shore. The water utility expects the snowpack to shrink over the next hundred years. It means less drinking water. And it's one of the reasons why we need we need a new intake and we like a deeper intake into Coquitlam Lake. And we really need to look at how much how much water we're we're using. Back on the ski hills, snow machines are an alternative to snowfall and they're already in use. But whether the technology is enough to keep the billion-dollar ski industry running remains to be seen. No one from Seymour, Grouse or Cyprus was available for comment. There are many, many ski resorts in the Alps in Europe that are closing permanently because they're not getting enough snow in winter to operate. And I think this is more than just kind of a local trend. Travis Prasad, Global News. Coming up, BC's prized jade industry in jeopardy. There's no other stone on earth that, that uh, rivals jade. The battle between prosperity and preservation in a pristine corner of the province. A BC jade company says its future is in limbo. Jade West has been operating for nearly 50 years, but it hasn't been able to mine what it considers its mother load since a local First Nation called for a moratorium on its claimed territory and the province agreed. Several years later, there are no answers about when it might resume. Paul Johnson reports. 
It's the touch of jade, the feel of jade, the sensualness of just holding onto a piece of jade. If BC were to have an ambassador for jade, there's a good case for that job going to Surrey's Kirk Makepeace. I founded the company in um, approximately 40 years ago. At various times, his family-run company has been the province's biggest jade producer and one of its best-known boosters. So he was stunned when this came to pass. It has basically, in the last four years, disappeared. The market has been taken away from us. Uh, our Asian consumers are going to competitors in Russia or Afghanistan to find jade because it's no longer available here. This is going to be the million dollar rock. What happened was this. A reality TV show called Jade Fever had drawn attention to the industry. How much money was being made and some questions about whether it was regulated responsibly. The Taltan Nation, whose territory most of the mines are on, wanted a reset. In Victoria, agreed, shutting down jade mining in the area starting in 2020. We put all our investment into the season, we mobilized, we put our whole team up there, and we're getting ready to start mining. Uh, we didn't get our permit. CEO Matt Strouts says without a certainty of when they can get back to mining, he can't say how long the business lasts. The Ministry of Mines says the current order will last through May, but had no guidance on whether mining can actually resume then or on what terms. Jade deserves better. The people of British Columbia deserve better. With decades of experience working with the Taltan, Makepeace is in touch with them and supportive of their vision. He says the people he can't get to are in Victoria, including the minister responsible for mines herself. We've made numerous attempts to contact Josie Osborne and have had no response. In Surrey, Paul Johnson, Global News. A major shift in pharmaceutical policy in the United States is raising fears about medical shortages here in Canada. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is changing its rules to allow the state of Florida to directly import prescription drugs from Canada in a bid to lower costs. It's a move that's been opposed by the Canadian government for years over fears it would lead to shortages and price hikes. Federal Health Minister Mark Holland says Canada's existing regulations will protect the drug supply. Coming up, a taste of China without the trip. A Victoria butcher shop hoping it can hang on for another 135 years. And in sports, how the Seattle Seahawks are preparing for their high-stakes battle against the Cardinals this weekend. Jeff Florian joins us now with a look at the weather. We can say goodbye to the slush. There's definitely almost guaranteed some fresh pow out there on those ski hills, Steph. A stormy start to the weekend, but not necessarily a bad thing, Chris. Exactly. We need this snow so desperately. There was quite a few cars out there, but uh, people have headed in indoors, I think, for their Friday evening. But that's going to continue to come down. We have snowfall warnings in place here downtown. Metro Vancouver, 7 degrees. It's coming down. It will continue to rain through the overnight, and those winds are going to pick up again through the overnight and into your day tomorrow. So we're going to be clearing as we get into the later part of the day tomorrow. Sunshine in the forecast, especially in 
through the afternoon hours. So we're seeing our temperatures moderate, desperate for uh, the snow in the higher elevations. We've also got rainfall warnings in place. That's from Qualicum Beach to Fanny Bay. We're expecting 20 centimeters when this is said and done after midnight tonight for the Sea to Sky and Whistler. How sound up to 50 millimeters. Trail area expecting about 15 centimeters tonight into tomorrow midday and North Columbia as well. So we've got a lot of snow on our mountain passes. If you are doing any traveling, that warning's in place for Kootenai Pass, 10 centimeters for Highway 3, another 10 tomorrow. And then the Sea to Sky, it's going to get better after midnight. Allison Pass 2, Coquihalla 5. Tomorrow, additional snow. So it's a snow event. It's the first big snow event for our mountains, and we are desperately needing it for those slopes. So good news there. That time's out into tomorrow midday for the southern interior. That snow will start to ease off, and then we are seeing a clearing trend, a ridge of high pressure behind that. However, another big system that's going to make its way towards the south coast Sunday night into Monday, and it's this drop in temperatures, Arctic air bringing our temperatures right down, especially into next week where we could be having a little bit of a winter wonderland around the lower mainland, Chris. So we're going to take a quick fly through here, northern BC tomorrow. It's the risk of frostbite for the BC piece with that wind chill, otherwise not too bad to the north. It's to the south, anywhere from 2 to 10 centimeters around Valmont, Revelstoke about 5, wet snow for Kelowna and Merritt, and for Vancouver Island, risk of a thunderstorm for Tofino, wet and windy for Port Hardy, chance of an afternoon shower north of Nanaimo. Otherwise, we are tapering. It's going to get clear through the afternoon. A few showers could linger towards the valley. And then we do have a beautiful day on Sunday. All that fresh snow will be epic in Whistler. And then Monday, it's going to be potentially a little bit of wet snow in through the overnight as we head to back to school. Over to you. Oh, the weather window. This is actually perfect because this was the window yesterday, that very small window between wow. storms. This was John Buswood taking an outrigger paddle there in Falls Creek and English Bay and then how quickly things have changed. <laughs> perfect <laughs> Back to the snow here in Whistler. Perfect timing for the paddler, no doubt. And yeah, that looks treacherous out on the road. So hope people are being safe out there. Okay, you might not have known it, but North America's longest running Chinese business is located right here in BC in our provincial capital. Victoria's Loy Singh, a Chinese butcher shop, has been operating continuously since 1889, but that record is in jeopardy unless the owners can find a buyer with some conditions attached. Kylie Stanton has more. Yeah, I got a large rice. Running a business isn't always easy. $20 crispy. But keep it simple with one menu, cash Thank only. Thank you. It might just take you back. So yummy. And stand the test of time. It is considered the longest continuously running Chinese business in all of North America. Since 1889, 135 years, Loy Singh has been serving up four Cantonese staples in Victoria's Chinatown. Barbecue pork, duck, chicken, and of course, the crowd favorite. Crispy pasta, good one. Is yeah. that most popular? Yeah, probably. For the past 30 years, Daniel Zhang and his wife Shelley have worked to keep the taste of tradition alive, connecting a community to its culture, nice, nice people. while raising a family of their own. They have put their, their three children through university and uh, they have decided that it's time to retire. That means the business is now up for sale. The asking price, $75,000. But there's a bit of a catch. In order to keep the uh, heritage 
uh, we would like to see this business continue to run as a butcher shop and hopefully it's uh, Chinese owned. That, along with continuing to make the four staples served here, Large, is what's required in order to keep this designation. You gotta find a replacement. And the search is on. So you wanna come work here now? <laughs> By uh, spreading the word, it might extend their reach uh, past just Victoria if there's somebody in Vancouver, but it's more someone that will continue the business. Yeah, you'll come. The owners have every intention of staying on to assist with the transition, not only a testament to their work ethic, but the generations that came before them, now woven into the fabric of this operation. We all want to make sure that the legacy of what this business was continues for the future. Kylie Stanton, Global News. It made me so hungry going through the video for that story to write some of the promos for it, and we wish them the best of luck in retirement. Finding a buyer? Okay, we'll bring Squire in now for a look ahead to what's coming up in sports. How Swede it is for the Canucks. We've been saying that for years. I mean a long time because the Canucks have usually had pretty good luck when they draft Swedish players. And Jonathan LeCaramacki looks like another one who is working out as planned. Front of the U.S. Netminer. Time winding down. Played across. Shoot. Score! LeCaramacki with a bomb from the point! He didn't win gold with Sweden today, but he was named the World Juniors Tournament MVP, scoring seven goals at this event. Awesome for him. Also tonight, no lie, the best satellite debris of 2024. Your Pete Nokia. All right, Squires here with sports. We're licking our wounds a little bit here in Canada after well, World Juniors. Yeah, we weren't very good at the World Juniors this year, but there were three Canuck prospects on the Swedish squad, which did make the final today against the <laughs> USA. So Team Canada didn't have a good time at the World Juniors over in Sweden, but the Canucks certainly did. They got to watch their first rounder from 2022, Jonathan LeCaramacki, win MVP of the entire tournament. Scored seven goals with a shot that kind of reminds you of Elias Pettersson when he was still a prospect coming out of Sweden. LeCaramacki's shot is quite accurate. The Canucks are certainly hoping to maybe get him into Abbotsford late this season when his season in Sweden is done. So let's check out what happened. There he is right there. The Americans were, well, too much in this tournament. They had a lot of great players. Gabe Perot, son of former NHLer Yannick Perot, scores there to make it 1-0. Isaac Howard, Tampa Bay draft pick. That's a nice move. It was 3-1 for the U.S. right before the end of the second. This is when LeCaramacki scores a power play goal. Watch the one-timer from him. Bang. Scored a few of those. Yes, he did. Yeah, he's got, like I say, now he got a little bit of a bounce here, but his shot is hard and accurate, and he does get himself open. And he played pretty well without the puck, too. So that made it 3-2. Zeev Boyum, though, his goal here made it 4-2 early in the third, and the Americans ran away from there. So they win the championship for the sixth time in their history. Last year, of course, Connor Bedard was leading Canada. Tonight, Connor Bedard runs into Brendan Smith of the Devils. That's not a dirty hit. Bedard kind of lost control of the puck for a second. I think his eyes went down for a split second, ran in the Smith. He left the game. He did not come back. His big brother in on Chicago, Nick Foligno, jumped in there. 
Bedard, of course, leads all NHL rookies right now, and as far as I'm concerned, he might as well just give him the Calder Trophy because he's the best rookie in the league. All right, there are two big football games for Seattle coming up. Monday night, of course, the University of Washington will face Michigan in the national championship game. Sunday, the Seahawks will play Arizona. Unlike the Huskies, a Seahawks win doesn't guarantee them of anything. They need some help to get into the playoffs, but they have to win that game as well. They need to help themselves in another way, too. They have to help themselves by playing better defense. 14th play of the drive for the Steelers. It's Warren inside the 10 to the end zone. Touchdown! In football lingo, the Steelers ran the ball down the Seahawks' throats last week. Pittsburgh ran for 202 yards and three rush touchdowns, seriously putting a crimp in the Seahawks' playoff plans. Seattle's rush defense is ranked 30th out of 32 teams, so expect the Arizona Cardinals, the sixth best rushing team in the NFL, to go to the ground and pound as well. It's a copycat league. When you show these issues, uh, Going into games, obviously teams are going to try to replicate that. Arizona's going to do that. We have a lot of respect for uh, James Conner and all their backs are really good players. So uh, tackling again is going to be at a premium. A lot of the problems stopping the run have been self-inflicted. Seattle's tackling has been horrendous. They are fundamental mistakes that are driving head coach Pete Carroll mental. You know, we had five missed tackles on one play. Technique deteriorates somewhat during the season, and it looked like that's, that kind of happened to us. We, we didn't, just didn't, weren't as good fundamentally as we needed to be, and it uh, showed up. Um, you know, we've got a lot of young guys. I know I can keep working with these guys and, and keep helping them see uh, how they can do things. Because, like, we did them right in the second half, so we can do them right in the first half. So we need to recapture that. Fundamentals of tackling, not tackling so high. Uh, obviously, being low, wrapping the legs, getting guys on the ground. Uh, the numbers of the ball, you know, having swarming football with multiple bodies, those elements of the fundamentals of tackling uh, were lacking. So the Seahawks have to take care of business against the Cardinals, win the game, and then hope the Packers lose at home to the Bears. Not likely, but in the exact same scenario last year, the Packers lost in what turned out to be Aaron Rodgers' last game. So there's some hope for the Seahawks, but there's also a lot of regret they're even in this position to need help to make the playoffs. Once you get in this position, you just start looking back at all the games that you know you should have won or the plays that you should have made, um, and then you know the the plays that you should have made just start to catch up with you. Um, but you know, just finishing strong this year is something that we have to do. We do have the players, we do have the makeup, we do have the DNA to be you know a great football team. We just have to start coming together and putting it together. I always wonder when, okay, the team has tackling problems. You think that's something you learn when you were a little kid playing football for the first time. Tackling is one of the most fundamental things of all football fundamentals. Got to wrap the arms. Yeah, don't blow Put a stick out. in the spokes, as they say. All right, thanks, for Rugby players know how to do it. You got it. All right. Thanks, Squire. We're back with Satellite Debris next. Oh! That thing's terrible. I like it. So good. Okay, so, so this good. one is uh, from Geico. It concerns, uh, you know, one of those online dating things. Oh, hi, Samantha. You look more like a Heather. Do you ever get that? It's nice to finally meet you in person. 
your Pete Nokio? Oh, the pick? That was actually a professional headshot? Oh. I'm sure that's it. Yeah. I, uh, I think I lost a few pounds recently, too. I'm actually doing a juice cleanse. Wait, you don't... <sighs> With Geico, the savings keep on going, just like this sequel. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Pete, Pete Nokio, come on now. Those are solid. That's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the last two, uh, one of the Deer Kitten ads, and actually we'll go back to Geico to finish things off. Deer Kitten, you've probably noticed that there's a new thing in the house. It is called a dog. And I know this because before you, I had a best friend named Peanut. Rest in peace. At first, I assumed Peanut was just a very ugly cat. Charming in his own way, but terrible breath. Awful. So, Kitten... Here are some things that you need to know. The dog is the sort of creature that will decide whether it should put something in its mouth by putting it in its mouth. That's the level of decision-making that goes on. They basically eat everything. Case in point, butt paper. They even eat those weird brown dehydrated pip nuggets that the humans give us. Don't get mad. Let the dog eat all of our dry food. If it gets caught, it gets put in jail. And right then, we can enjoy the moist deliciousness of the can without interruption. It's a gambit. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo-hoo! Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Yeah. Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Hard to be happier than that. Hump day's a few days away, but, you know, you get the message. So good, all of them. So good. Thank you. Happy Wrapping Friday. up 2023. Can't wait to see what's coming up in 2024. It's starting, at least in the first week here, with some snow. Absolutely. Snow in our local mountains tonight. Snowfall warning for Whistler up the sea to sky and then clearing skies tomorrow. Beautiful on Sunday before we have a chance of some snow again Sunday night into Monday. Keep it coming, say the skiers and snowboarders. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great weekend. Season of 911 on a new night, Thursday, March 14th, on Global. Stream on Stack TV.